Today on CityCast Pittsburgh, I remember taking standardized tests in Pennsylvania. They're called the PSSAs, and they still make me anxious. That was before the pandemic and virtual learning, and the learning gaps have only gotten worse, especially for black and brown kids and those from lower income families. I'm here with reporter Mary Niederberger with the Pittsburgh Institute for Nonprofit Journalism, and she's been focused on math and how schools are trying to get students back on track. It's Tuesday, June 14th. I'm Morgan Moody, and this is CityCast Pittsburgh. So why math? What drew you to just that subject? What drew me to that subject is um, how alarmingly low the scores are, especially among black students, brown students, economically disadvantaged students. When the PSSAs came out in early March, that was the first look at how really, really bad it was. When I saw these schools where there was 0% of the students who were proficient in math, But it was the first window into what happened during the pandemic because schools didn't want to share their internal assessments and PPS didn't want to talk about it at all. Do you do you have any idea why or any thoughts why? Who wants to talk about how poorly students are doing? I mean, that's the only thing they should, though, because I feel like, you know, how else can they get better? Absolutely should. You know, it's a reality. Not only was it a reality pre-pandemic, we know the pandemic was way tougher on poor families and black families and Latino families. So these kids went into the pandemic already behind and then suffered way more than kids who live in the middle class or upper middle class or white kids. Um, You know, some of those communities, they had great difficulty getting online during the pandemic. So these kids missed more school. They had more disruptions at home. And so, so this is the result. This is, this is where we are. The point of this story is to be a rallying cry, not to criticize anybody, um, because everybody did the best they could. So, yeah, in your article, you talked a lot about Black kids really struggling in the classrooms and, and taking these tests, especially the math portion. So what districts are these, are these kids in that are really struggling and, and why? The way the PSSAs work is they aggregate by subgroups. In order for there to be a subgroup in a school, there have to be at least 20. So in any school district where there were at least 20 black students in mm-hmm. the school, there is a black subgroup. So the more urban districts is is where you would find those subgroups, mm-hmm. which is not to say that black kids don't struggle in the predominantly white schools. There right. just aren't 20 kids in that school to show that. Right. Um, so really anywhere there's a black subgroup, you're, you're generally seeing the scores being significantly lower and, and down into this single digit measurement, which is, which is what makes me sad, Yeah, um, the single digits. And were there any other subgroups that you looked at? Like were, were some of these children, did they also have maybe a learning disability that could factor into why their schools were so low? Well, the kids who have disabilities take a different kind of a test and they are aggregated out separately. There's also, okay, I'll just say this. I looked at the Latino population in Pittsburgh because that was uh, the only district that I think had a large, was large enough for there to be a subgroup. And the Latino students did very poorly as well. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think 
there there probably was a language barrier issue as well as as some of the other factors. Hmm. We all know that black and brown students are more likely than their white peers to live in lower socioeconomic conditions. Right. So especially here in Pittsburgh. Exactly. Exactly. In Pittsburgh. Let's say that. Um, And probably many of the kids who were black or brown were also economically disadvantaged. Mm. But the state, the scores don't break down into the individual to say, like, we had this many kids who were black and economically disadvantaged. They just give you the percentage of black students and the percentage of economically disadvantaged and the percentage of Latino. But there's definitely crossover here. Why are black and brown disadvantaged children struggling the most? I mean, it's it's kind of been a, a constant theme, but um, really since the pandemic, why are they struggling um, to keep up with their white counterpart students? Well, I'm just gonna talk a little bit about before pandemic. Some of the districts like Woodland Hills and mm-hmm. Gateway were really trying to address their racial achievement gaps. And what they found was the way math was taught had a lot to do with it. First of all, teachers having implicit bias about what kind of achievement they expected out yeah. of out of minority students. And they worked on that and about the way math is taught. Um, and so they introduced the concepts of culturally relevant math. What's that mean, culturally relevant math? Okay, it means presenting math problems in a way that is relevant to the students. So okay. um, it becomes real to them. Like how? How do you make it real? So one of the projects that the students had was to research food insecurity and its effects on residents of Allegheny County. And they plotted where grocery stores were located to find areas that residents had access to fresh produce and other healthy foods. They also identified food deserts um, where students ha- where residents had to travel far to get healthy food. They connected the availability of healthy food um, and unhealthy food to race and income levels. They, they researched the effects on health and, and uh, the incidence of diabetes and high blood pressure. And at the end, they presented their findings. They used tables and charts and percentages and all other kind of measurements for their outcomes. And um, Cassandra Brentley, who runs the program, said that you know the students took way more ownership of using math skills when they were solving a problem or identifying and trying to solve a problem in their community. Yeah, yeah. And in your story, you said a bunch of that stuff moved online when the school shut down. Yeah. Since the pandemic, there have been study after study and story after story saying that kids in poor neighborhoods, kids in minority neighborhoods suffered so much more because there was more trauma during the pandemic. There was job loss. There was isolation. There was lack of Internet connection living in multi-generational families where illness may have spread more quickly exposure to COVID was was greater and you know when they're in the classroom teachers can see them struggle but online when you have 25 faces on the screen it's it's really hard to tell who needs extra help yeah i would struggle with that too if i had to learn um virtually that must be extremely difficult for these children but you talked about also how a lot of these kids are testing with a zero percent proficiency what does that mean in real terms though because zero percent doesn't mean that they you know haven't learned anything and aren't you know haven't absorbed any of this information but in state vernacular what does it take to reach that level of proficiency 
Well, there are state standards in math and the teachers are supposed to teach and they do when I say supposed to, I'm, I'm not ever suggesting that teachers did anything wrong. Yeah. So the way it works is there are state standards and these tests are aligned with the state standards. So the state standard is what Pennsylvania has decided a third grader should know in math, what a fourth grader should know in math, what a fifth grader should know in math. And remember math bills. So if you don't learn your addition and your subtraction, you're not going to be able to go on to your division Believe and multiplication. Me, right. Yeah. All, all, all of us journalists are bad at math, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's why I chose this. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so these tests show you how kids are performing against the state standards. So when it comes back that 0% of the black students or 0% of the poor students have tested proficient, that means they, they're not testing to the standards that they should know for third grade. Okay. So the worry about that is what happens when they get to fourth grade? Yeah. So that's the concern. What happens if across the board in Pennsylvania, kids are not meeting the standards that the state has set? So there's nothing punitive. Um, do they lower? Do they lower the, the expectations? Now. No. Oh no, no, they don't lower the expectations. Um, there has been some discussion about looking at the way Pennsylvania has decided to teach math and the standards and the way it's taught, because overall kids are not doing well in math. And just to put some perspective on this, on these same tests where we found, you know, that the black students, zero percent of them scored proficient. Across the state, only 37.3% of kids scored proficient. Yeah. So, so part of this is students are struggling in math. There's another discussion to be had about why and, you know, are the standards wrong? Is the way we're teaching math wrong? Is anyone questioning the test themselves that that is part of the problem? Oh, there's long been questions about whether or not the tests are um, put together in a way that minority students can do well. Yeah. Is, is there implicit bias in the, t bias in the tests? That, that has been brought up and that's a yeah. conversation that's ongoing. Yes, that is. So are there any solutions, not necessarily to the test, but are there any solutions to helping these children do better? Does anyone have uh, a good plan in place? Well, one of the things that it seems like everybody agrees on is, you know, intense tutoring, one on one, small group, really getting down to the individual child and what their weakness is. The federal government has given, I think it's in the billions of dollars now to schools across the country to pump into whatever they needed to to react to COVID. So in the beginning, a lot of that money was spent on putting up you know, plexiglass partitions and buying masks and that kind of stuff. And I think this last round, uh -huh. from what I was told in speaking to folks, a lot of them want to use it for more intense one-on-one -on -one work with the students. For instance, Woodland Hills this year wanted to do after-school tutoring. They had a program set up and here they couldn't, because of the bus driver shortage, they couldn't get transportation. Right. And so right. They, they couldn't do it. So they had this federal money, they had the plan in place, but they couldn't get the transportation. The same thing happened in Duquesne. In my story, mm -hmm. you see the folks in Duquesne, um, right away they looked at those math scores and, and were alarmed. And so they started the storefront tutoring center and they thought this is great, the kids can go there after school, but there was no way to get them home at 6.30 at night. Like the center was a block or two from school so the kids could walk there, but then they didn't have transportation to get them home. 
But the lesson they learned from that is that that one-on-one -on -one work and that extra time improves some of the kids' math performance. And so next year, they're going to do it during the school year. They're hiring additional aides who are going to work with the kids, but they're going to have to be pulled out of other subjects. The, so then it's kind of like they're, I mean, the balance is that, is that other subject going to suffer? Probably. Uh, and I can't speak for Duquesne, but I'm just saying if I were the principal there, I'm going to pull them out of something they're not going to get tested for. OK, so yeah. I'm not going to pull them out of reading. I'm not going to pull them out of math. I'm not going to pull them out of science, yeah. which is more likely that they'll miss a special, you know, specials or music, art. Which is That's something sad. else, you know, the arts should be cherished, yep. too. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Those were my favorite classes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yep. that certainly was one that yep. I didn't want to miss. Yep. I think I think if this transportation problem could be solved. You could see a lot more before and after school programs yeah. for kids. Um, and it's yet to be seen what the transportation situation is going to be in the fall. Yeah. I have a, quickly, do you think that having or not having teachers of color is also part of the problem for maybe students not being able to relate or not being taught in a way that they can relate to? It's a huge part of the problem. And I will say that Pittsburgh public schools and a lot of the other urban schools around here have acknowledged it's a problem. They mm -hmm. try to recruit. The problem is there's just not a lot of pipeline. Um, yeah. For some reason, black students are not encouraged to become teachers. Part of it may be because they don't see it in the classroom. Yeah. They go to the classroom and they see white teachers, so they don't see themselves as teachers. But yes, that absolutely is part of it, too. Yeah, I think throughout all of my schooling, I had one black teacher and that was in kindergarten. So. Yeah. Mary, you've given us a lot to think about. Um, so thank you so much for talking with me today. Thanks for having me. Uh, the more attention that we can give to this important topic, the better. Mary Niederberger is a reporter and editor for PINGE, the Pittsburgh Institute for Nonprofit Journalism. Check out our show notes for a link to this piece and the whole series on loss and learning during the pandemic. Here's what else Pittsburgh is talking about today. A bipartisan group of U.S. senators reached a deal on guns. If it goes anywhere, it could lead to red flag laws. That means removing guns from potentially dangerous people, giving money to school safety and mental health resources, and expanding background checks. But there's a big difference in where all Pennsylvania's various candidates fall on the issue. Check out our newsletter for more information on that. The city says Mayor Ganey is talking privately with UPMC and Allegheny Health Network to get them to pony up on property taxes. Both are technically nonprofits and don't pay a dime, even though they own huge swaths of the city. Both companies have agreements with Erie to pay some taxes there. And the Steelers have unveiled a new padded helmet to keep everyone's head safe through the offseason. Please hit up our social media. <laughs> For a picture of these things. I mean, I'm glad they're safe, but they have our boys looking like bobbleheads out there. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. If you enjoyed the show, tell a friend, rate the show, leave us a review, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back on Thursday with more news from around the city. We'll see you then. And it's funny, that teacher thought I was a boy.